Well, good morning. Welcome to Apostles Houston. I'm Lead Pastor David Cumby. Uh, just want to welcome you, especially if you're worshiping with us for the first time today online. Uh, we're so glad you're here. You know, over the summer, we want to get back into our rhythm of reading from the gospel each week. And so wherever you are this morning, I want to invite you to go ahead and stand as I read from John chapter 16, beginning in verse 25. It says, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. His disciples said, Ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. Now we know that you know all things and do not need anyone to question you. This is why we believe that you came from God. And Jesus answered them, Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed has come, when you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart. I have overcome the world. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, we give you thanks for today, for the chance to worship you, and Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. And so, Holy Spirit, would you open these words to us and press them deep within us, Help us to understand more of who you are, and because of that, who we are. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, this morning, I want to begin with a question. The question is, what does it mean to be resilient? You know, the dictionary defines being resilient as the ability to withstand or recover quickly from difficult conditions, to recoil or return to shape after bending and stretching and being compressed. Now, when I think of resilience, I I almost immediately think of my nine-year-old son, David. David is an amazing kid, and when he was two, he was diagnosed with cerebral palsy. Now, CP is a broad-spectrum diagnosis that basically says that while the brain was developing, there was some damage. And for David, what that means is it affects his muscle control in his legs, and so it affects his walking and his balance. Um, Now, specifically, it means that the muscles in David's legs, the brain tells them to contract almost all the time. Um, so to give you a sense of what that must feel like, I want you to do this for me. I want you to take your hand. I want you to, to clench your fist as tight as you can for as long as you can. Now, I can only do that for, for a few moments before I get really tired. So imagine if your brain was telling the muscles in your legs to do that all the time. Imagine how tiring it would be, how exhausting it would be. And that's what David experiences almost every day. And so that's why when I think of resilience, I think of my son. Because every morning, he wakes up and puts two feet on the floor and stands up. Every day, he puts one foot in front of the other and he walks. Every day, even though he falls down, he gets back up. And he'll be the first to tell you that he gets frustrated. Um, He gets tired of it, but he doesn't give up. And I'm so proud of him. And, And when I think of resilience, I think of 
him and his life. And, you know, right now, we are going through some things that are really hard, really hard, and in lots of ways and lots of different levels. And there are times, I think, in our frustration, in our fatigue, in our hurt, we may feel like, I just, I give up. And that can look a lot of different ways. Which is why I think right now is the time for a resilient church. It's a time for the church to not only survive, but to thrive. For the church to to exist not just in here, but but out there. To, To enter into these challenging times with a renewed sense of mission and purpose. And so this summer, we want to ask as a church, what does it mean to be a resilient church in this moment? What does it mean to be the church beyond the walls together? So to do that, we're going to be looking together at the letter of 1 Peter. So I want to invite you to grab a Bible and go ahead and open up to 1 Peter chapter 1. And as you're doing that, I want to tell you a couple important things uh, about this letter. First, it was written by the Apostle Peter, one of Jesus' closest friends. This is the same Peter who walked on water, the Peter who confessed Jesus as the Messiah, the same Peter who denied Jesus three times just before his execution. This is the Peter that saw Jesus raised from the dead and who experienced a profound moment of of God's grace and forgiveness from Jesus, the risen Jesus. And so this this is a Peter who knows uh, resilience, who knows what it looks like to live out a resilient faith. So that's who's written the letter. Second thing is, it was written to followers of Jesus um, who were scattered across Asia Minor, what today is uh, modern day Turkey. And they were living through challenging times of their own, including a culture that was increasingly hostile to their faith. Now, no one was being kind of fed to the lions. But they were facing uh, kind of what I would say is soft persecution, being ostracized, being abused, being ridiculed for their faith in Jesus. And then the third thing I think that's important to know is uh, this was a circular letter. Uh, it's interesting. This is a letter that would have been passed from town to town, from, from groups of, uh, of, of Christians to, to one to another. It, it, it was something that was happening kind of organically, that the church was still gathering in homes at this point. And so it's interesting that Jesus, uh, Peter never mentions like the, the church as a formal body or a gathering. This church is truly scattered across this huge geographic region. And so you can see why this letter, I think, is incredibly pertinent to us today and specifically pertinent to our uh, circumstances. It was written to a church that needed to be resilient, just like us, a church called to be on mission, even in increasingly challenging circumstances. And so in this letter, I just want to look at the beginning today. In this letter, this is how the Apostle Peter starts. He says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, according to the foreknowledge of God the Father in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. May grace and peace be multiplied to you. This morning, I just want to focus in on this little phrase right at the beginning that Peter uses. He he calls them elect exiles. It's a really strange idea, right? The King James Bible talks about it and says it this way, that they are scattered strangers. Another translation says they're chosen exiles. 
it's strange because it's this mashup of seemingly incompatible ideas, right? If you're, if you're chosen, you're, you're wanted, uh, you, you're, you belong, you're a part of. But if you're exiled, um, it, it's, it's like you're unwanted, you're sent away, um, you're left out. And so the question is, well, what is Peter kind of getting at here? Well, right from the start, Peter's letter takes up one of the most important questions for people who are living through a moment of uncertainty and suffering and hostility for people just like us. And it's the question of identity. The question that makes all the difference for Peter's readers and for us is, who are we? You know, human beings are unique uh, among creation, in part because we undergo this constant quest for our identity. One of the deep questions going on within all of us throughout our whole life is, who am I? One of the radical shifts in our culture when it comes to identity has been thinking in terms of elective identity. In their book, Faith for Exiles, Dave Kinnaman and Mark Matlock define elective identity as the idea that people can and should define their own identity because every individual is the ultimate arbiter of what is true about him or herself. That is to say, who I am is a matter of discovering and choosing an identity and then building that identity for myself. And in a way, that sounds really good. In fact, in a way, I think that is in line with what God intends for us. But it's also a really exhausting and endless endeavor. We're constantly looking for our identity in all sorts of places, right? From brands uh, to music, celebrities, sports, social media, friends, our family, our social class, uh, our sexuality. And then add into that quest uh, this mix of our constantly kind of changing needs and desires and self-perceptions. And so what happens is we, we undertake this impossible project of blending all of that together into some kind of meaningful, cohesive identity. And this relatively new way of thinking about identity uh, has bled into all of our ways of thinking. Um, so even as followers of Jesus, what, can easily, what we can easily do is we, we can see Jesus kind of as one more option in kind of this identity buffet, right? We can see Jesus as one more identity modifier that I just kind of add on. But the gospel doesn't offer us that kind of Jesus. It doesn't offer us a Jesus that we can just add on to our identity. The gospel actually makes the audacious claim that the ultimate answer to the question, who am I, is found in the person and work of Jesus as revealed in the scriptures. And that's really good news. That's good news because it means we don't have to live in the futility and the burden of our quest for a self-constructed identity. Instead, we can, we can live with joy and freedom and excitement as we discover who we really are in Jesus. And Peter, he knows that's true. And he knows that we have to know who we are before we can really understand how to live, especially, especially when times are hard. Because if we don't, it's going to lead us into deep frustration and despair and that we will ultimately give up. So the question really is, who are we? And first, Peter says, we are chosen. We're chosen. You know, it feels good when we're chosen. I love to be chosen. You know, chosen for uh, the team, chosen for a dance, chosen for the job. 
And so Peter says, we are actually chosen by God himself. But what does that mean? Well, in verse 2, Peter writes this. He says, we have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. That is, God doesn't just know us and choose us in a moment. It means that he's always known us, that he's always loved us and wanted us. Foreknowledge means that before we ever even gave God a thought, uh, he was thinking of us. It means that our chosenness is, is part of something much bigger. It's part of a story that's much bigger than our own. It's part of God's eternal plan. Peter goes on to say that we're chosen in the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ and for sprinkling with his blood. Now, what in the world does that mean? Well, Peter is saying our chosenness is the work of God's personal Spirit that lives inside of us. It's a gift, in other words, he's given us, and then it keeps giving. Sanctification is a word that simply means the work of the Holy Spirit to make us more and more like Jesus and to draw us deeper and deeper into relationship with God. And so it's by the power of the Holy Spirit that we can follow Jesus, the one who out of his love for us, Peter says, shed his blood for us. Peter's reminding us, in other words, that Jesus' sacrifice saves us and heals us and forgives us and calls us to love others sacrificially, just as he loved us. So so what is all that telling us? What Peter is saying is that to be chosen by God really is to know that you're loved eternally and personally and powerfully by the God uh, of the universe. It's about this relationship. Which makes me think of my marriage to Langley. You know, we've been married for 15 years. And there, there have been days, days in our marriage uh, that were really hard. In fact, there's been seasons in our marriage that have been really hard. And it's in those seasons that we've had to remind each other that we are in this covenant relationship with each other. That's, that's what our marriage is. And that we have chosen, what that means is we've chosen to live in relationship with one another no matter what happens, no matter what happens. And so when times are hard, what Peter is saying is, remember, God chose you. He chose you to be in this intimate and eternal relationship with him, no matter what, no matter what. You see, there's this direct correlation between our intimacy with God and our resilience, the resilience of our faith. Psalm 1 gives this really beautiful picture of that reality. This is what it says. It says, Blessed is the one whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditates on his day, law day and night. That person, it says, is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. In other words, they remain resilient. And it's this picture of resilience that comes from a place of depth and intimacy. A tree, in other words, that survives in storms and droughts and still bears fruit, has deep roots, is planted by streams of water. And so you see this direct connection between our intimacy with God, the depth of our relationship with God, and the resilience of our faith. And right now, I think the question we need to be asking ourselves is, are we cultivating deep roots? Are we looking to social media and friends and political leaders, or are we going deep, deep with God, deep in the scriptures, deep in prayer, deep in relationship with him? Peter says, if we want to remain resilient 
in this moment. We need to recognize that we are chosen people and that God is inviting us to go deeper with him. And so Peter says we're, we're chosen, but then he says we're also exiles. He says we're exiles. You know, literally, the word that's used here is diaspora. He says we are, uh, we are chosen exiles in the diaspora. Diaspora is a technical term for, for the Jewish people being scattered across the world over, over the centuries. The Old Testament tells this story of the scattering of God's people. And so Peter is connecting us to Israel's exile, but it's also likely that Peter's readers weren't Jewish. Um, They were actually non-Jews who they themselves were living in exile. The the practice of the Roman Empire at the time was to, to take people they conquered and relocate them all across the empire. So in other words, Peter is writing to followers of Jesus who were not living in their home countries uh, or cultures. And so what Peter's saying here is that what's been true of God's people in the past and what's true of you, the reader right now, is actually pointing to a greater spiritual reality, that you are exiles in every sense of the word. But it's not because of where you live You were exiles because through your faith in Jesus, you've been reborn and spiritually relocated into a new country, a new kingdom, into the kingdom of God. That's why Peter writes that he's caused us to be born again into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead and to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading that's kept in heaven for you. So maybe you didn't realize this, but when you came to faith in Jesus, when you began to follow him, it's, it's almost like you got a new passport. You traded in your American or your Mexican or your Nigerian passport, wherever you're from, you traded it in for a kingdom passport, right? No matter where you live, in other words, you have become a spiritual immigrant, a, a foreigner, a temporary resident, a refugee in the world. We are different and when you come to faith, you, you feel that difference. I don't know if you remember that. When you came into a relationship with Jesus, you feel that. There's this disconnect from who you were before. And it's a good and beautiful thing, but it is strange. It's strange to you as you're going through it, and it's strange to the world outside. And it makes us strange to the world outside. Why? Because as Peter says in verse 8, we love now what we haven't seen. We believe And what we cannot see, to rational, enlightened, kind of naturalistic residents of this world, that seems strange. I mean, even talking about this this way is strange. And that's Peter's point. His point is we are exiled. We have oriented our entire lives now around someone that we cannot see. And that's strange. And the truth is it's becoming more and more strange in our culture. You see, as our culture is changing, our foreignness becomes more and more clear. And we should expect to become outsiders, therefore, just as Jesus was an outsider. We, we should expect to become more marginalized just as Jesus was. You know, the cross, the cross is the ultimate expression of marginalization. And to follow Jesus, he said, it, it's to take up our own cross. And so if it doesn't feel like that to you, if it doesn't feel like exile... Give it time. Because I'm telling you, if you follow Jesus, you will begin to feel that way. Because more and more, we'll experience this tension between life with Jesus and life in our culture. And that tension is really uncomfortable. 
And the temptation and that discomfort and that tension is to do whatever it takes to make the tension go away. And so one temptation we might face is to kind of cloister up and cut ourselves off and just to kind of, to kind of hide, just only be with people that believe like me in Jesus. The other temptation is to conform. Uh, to ease up on our beliefs that grade against kind of the contemporary sensibilities, to, to tweak your view on, on maybe on sexuality or to embrace a particular ideology or philosophy or, or political platform over and against the teaching of Scripture. Why? Because it eases the tension. It, it, it causes that tension to subside in our lives. As one Christian author notes, he says, for generations of Christians raised with a strong ethic of relevance. Resilience is difficult. The new pressure presented by an intolerant intolerance proves too much. Some compartmentalize their beliefs into an orthodox or secularist mashup, and others simply disappear into the cold embrace of secularity. See, to live in exile means to live in this tension. It means to be uncomfortable which means something really important. It means if we're following Jesus and it has the feel of comfort, we have to ask ourselves, are we really following Jesus? Are we really living our lives as chosen exiles? Because you see, God has chosen us for a purpose. He's chosen us to be the church in the world, to be the scattered church, to be the church beyond the walls. And when we say... Uh, being the church beyond the walls. When we talk about living as exiles, uh, what we're talking about is living among those who don't yet know Christ. You know, sometimes I think we can get so focused on, uh, on spiritual activity that it actually just moves us from one Christian group to the next. A Bible study, a prayer, Sunday gathering. And those things are all good and important and necessary for our life together in Christ. But that isn't being the church beyond the walls. That isn't being the church scattered. Being scattered, it means living into that place of, of tension as chosen exiles, where we move beyond our comfort zone. We get out of our Christian bubble. But we're engaging with our friends and our neighbors and our coworkers who, who know little to nothing about Jesus with, with no agenda other than to love them. That's what it means to be a chosen exile. And so the question for us, uh, apostles, is how do we do that? And, and that's what I'm excited to look at all through the summer as we dive into First Peter together. But as we close today, I, I want to share with you an idea from a pastor named Mark Sayre. He writes about this in his book called Disappearing Church. And this is what he says. He says, as chosen exiles, uh, we live as a creative minority. He goes on to explain that the church as creative minority means taking up a pattern of life that is constantly withdrawing and re-entering the dominant culture. It's gathering together and scattering, not one or the other, but both, that we need to gather, but we also must scatter. He writes later, this moving in and out enables us to see the myths and the blind spots in our own culture, to reject the myths and find a greater dependence on God. To become a creative minority is not easy because it involves maintaining a strong link to the outside world, he says, while remaining true to your faith, seeking not merely to keep the sacred flame burning, but also to transform the larger society of which you are a part. Yeah, Langley and I lived overseas in Tanzania for a, a few years. And I remember when we came back to the States, um, one of the things that was really strange was to, to feel the, the, 
the kind of cultural dissonance, having been outside and withdrawn from the culture to re-enter it. We really saw things differently. And it was little things like you know, going to the grocery store and there being just hundreds of different kinds of cereal compared to our little grocery store in Tanzania that had one kind of cereal you could buy. But the other thing that I remember is we came back and, and everywhere you looked, every commercial, every product that was being sold had suddenly become green. At least to us, it was suddenly green. It was all environmentally friendly. I mean, suddenly you could get everything green, green cars, green toothbrushes, green cosmetics. I mean, anything you wanted was now environmentally friendly. And for our friends who had been here over the course of the two years before that, it was, it was something they, they didn't really even notice anymore. And yet to us, it was a huge shift because for them, they had been in it and it was gradual. Yet for us, because we were re-entering, we could see it clearly. And Sayers is saying that our experience as a church should have some dynamic like that to it, right? It should be that we withdraw into intimacy with God and the community of God's people, but we should also re-enter as those who see things as God sees them and therefore live differently as exiles. This is what God's calling us to do. This is what God is calling us to be, a creative minority, chosen exiles, especially, I think, in this moment, but even beyond. And so I just want to ask you this week, maybe consider, are you living into that tension? Are you living into the tension as a community of people who are both withdrawing and reentering, who are living as chosen and as exiles? That's where we're called to live. We're called to live in that place of tension beyond the walls of our comfort, because that's where God changes lives, and changes the world. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, would you help us to know who we are in Jesus, that we are chosen, that we are exiles, or that we would live into that place of discomfort because we know that that's the place you change us and you transform the world. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.